Let's take our Bibles this morning, open to Luke chapter 13. I'll begin reading from verse 11. Luke 13 and verse 11. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Beginning with verse 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, 
because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew, and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem." Then said one unto the Lord, Are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto them, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the privilege of having the word of God that we may study and read and, and be able to exhort one another. Now, Father, as we consider this passage, I pray that you will use it to, to teach uh, and minister to our hearts and change our lives. And then, Father, I pray if there is someone either listening to this or here this morning that is unsaved, that you will use this passage, this message, to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible is a marvelous and a miraculous book. It's the only miracle book out of all of the books in the world. And I say this, it is a book of 66 books that was written over a time frame of about 1,500 plus or minus years uh, by about 40 authors. It was completed 2,000 years ago, and it still addresses the questions for today. It is still relevant. It has not wore out. It has not expired. It has not become out of date in any way. And the reason being is, it's truth. Truth never changes. Uh, 
And not only that, humanity really has not changed. Oh, the technology with which we live has changed, but humanity has never changed. There were questions that were asked during the time of Christ that basically are questions that are asked today. And uh, it addresses our question, and here's the question that was asked. Are there few that be saved? That's in verse 23. In the middle of, of our text, in the middle of our passage, somebody comes along. Now, I don't know why they asked this question. Uh, in John six sixty six, it says, Many of his disciples stopped following and went away from him. I don't know if it was because there was a, a falling away of those that had followed them because of the food and whatever. Uh, I don't know if they were scared to follow him because of the intimidation and the threats of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But whatever had transpired, and, and do understand in this particular passage, we're covering multiple places and multiple days. We begin in verse 11, 10 and 11, at Perea, where he heals the woman. And after he ends there, he travels and continues to preach. And as he travels, one of the questions that seem to be coming up, are there few that be saved? Now, you know, this is a question that comes up today. I've encountered it. I've discussed it. Um... How many are saved? How many will be saved? Who is saved? Boy, they don't live like the Lord. Are they saved? And so this question comes up from time to time, and it gets to be a part of the discussion. Now, I've heard two different extreme answers on this particular question. Uh, How many are really saved? There have been some of the leading independent fundamental Baptist preachers uh, who have made the comments. I think it was uh, Lee Robertson who pastored uh, there in Tennessee, had an extremely large church. He made the statement, he questioned whether more than 10 or to 30 percent of the church members were saved. I I hope we have a better percentage than that here this morning. Then I've heard the other extreme where they believe, oh, millions and millions today are saved, and and they count and include everybody of every stripe who claims the name of Jesus for whatever reason or however they claim it. I think both are rather extreme. Who is really saved? While Jesus addressed this question, he didn't answer the question. Do you know there's a lot of questions in the Bible that were asked that were never answered by God and never answered by Christ? Have you had questions and you just don't seem to get the answer from God? Well, don't feel alone. It's not uncommon. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer those questions in the way we would want. Uh, Somebody who had read through Job and, and wrote all of this down, they said that Job asked God 40 questions. And God never answered one of them. But responded and asked Job about 80 questions. Now, the Lord didn't answer this question where it says, uh, are there few that be saved? 
but he addressed it. He gave an answer that was more to the heart and to the point that they needed to understand the answer to. How he answered it was, are you really saved? He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Verse 24. They said, uh, in essence, in in common day language, uh, how many are saved? Are there very many saved? And he turns around and and he looks at them. And out of compassion, out of grace, but in very straightforward terms, are you saved? There's the real issue. There's the real question that needs to be answered. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. Even Paul challenged people to examine to be certain that they're born again. Christ said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Are you saved? Now that word strive that we have there in verse 24, some would have a challenge in understanding it or interpreting it. I do not, and I'll explain why. Because some would come to this and they would think strive, oh my goodness, I've got to work really hard. And this word strive uh, comes from the Greek word that was used for the Olympian competitors to agonize where they would give every effort and every ounce of energy and, and their whole life is dedicated to winning that next competition event and and to agonize even uh, they say no pain no gain and in uh, the athletes and all of that and that's where the word strive comes from and and some would say oh do I have to work that hard to get, to to get saved no pain no gain <coughs> I can't get saved do I have to suffer to get saved no that's not what it's talking about The principle of biblical interpretation, uh, we don't have those down here. We'll have them back out upstairs next week, Lord willing. But there's about 10 principles of, uh, of common sense Bible interpretation. When there's a verse like this that seems a little vague and and we may have troubles understanding, you always take the very clear passages to shed light on what may be a little bit vague. The Bible very clearly states in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we are saved by grace and not by works. Titus 3, 5 reinforces that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's by the mercy of God that we are saved. So we understand in this passage, he's not talking about striving and and agonizing and and, and working even to, to painful ends to get your salvation. No, that's not what he's talking about. Here's what I would understand he's talking about. Striving. Get over all the obstacles. And you know, sometimes that's that's the challenge. But get past all the obstacles and get to the door of faith where all it takes is repentance and faith and you're born again. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But do you know there's obstacles between you and that door? Last night we went to a particular event out east of the interstate. 
walking through the door into the event was absolutely simple. And it may have even had a button I could have pushed and the door would have opened and then I walked through. But getting from our house out there had many obstacles. It had red lights, detours, uh, traffic stalling, and just all kinds of stuff. There was obstacles to get there. But once I got there, it was easy to walk in. That's what we're talking about here. And do you know, some of these obstacles, to you and I who are believers, that found that once we understood the biblical truth, we did not find it difficult to put our faith there. But something you and I may not understand, that there are people that are facing some pretty tough obstacles simply to come to faith. They, they may have an obstacle of that it's a gift. And they may just really mentally struggle with that because they've been in a religion that has told them for years they have to work. And there's a variety of obstacles. And the bottom line is he's saying, strive. Get over, conquer every one of those obstacles and get to the door of faith because if you don't get there, you'll perish. And there'll be no other opportunity, no other chance again once you've left this earth. Strive, agonize, do whatever it takes to get over those obstacles that hinder you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have this question and is is enveloped with three major obstacles that will frequently keep folks from coming to Christ through simple repentance and faith. And I want to look at those three obstacles. And there's a lesson here, I believe, for you and I as believers, and a very important lesson for unbelievers. And we'll examine that as after I look at these three obstacles that we have here. Our text and setting begins with the compassion of Christ. You start there at verse 11. And Jesus goes to the synagogue as it was his custom on the Sabbath day. From early until his death, he always went to the synagogue or to the temple, depending on where he was, without fail and without excuses. Do you know, if anybody could have had an excuse, well, I better not go to the synagogue. My life is in danger here. They're on a mission to kill me. If I show up at the synagogue, that's where some of the hostility is the greatest. And they're going to catch me there and they're going to try to kill me. If anybody could have had an excuse, he could have had an excuse. But you will find in the life of Christ, who is not only the perfect sinless life, but an example of how believers ought to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he never used an excuse to keep him from the synagogue. Here's an interesting one. While we were cleaning out one of the rooms upstairs to get ready for carpet, Will found this paper on the floor. Timing was good. It fits today. Why are fire trucks red? Well, fire trucks have four wheels and eight men, and four and eight are 12. There are 12 inches and a foot, and a foot is a ruler. Queen Elizabeth is a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth is the largest ship in the seven seas. Seas have fish, and fish have fins. The fins fought the Russians, and the Russians are red. Fire trucks are always Russian, therefore fire trucks are always red. 
Now, if you think this is a wild thing, then you ought to hear some of the excuses people try to use to explain their absence from attending church. Do you know what? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ never had an excuse. Because you never know. Now, I'm sure he knows what's going to happen, but you and I never know. When he could have had an excuse not to show up, he showed up. And it made a difference for a lady that had an 18-year malady and infirmity. And helped her. You see... He sees her with compassion, engages her, speaks to her, touches her. She was bowed over, and and if I would understand, she was bowed clear over like this. And I don't know what all was a part of this malady or this infirmity, but she was bowed way over. And I've seen people who have been bowed way over because of something happening to their spine. But this was not only a physical malady. There was something demonic because it said that Satan had bound her. And so both of these things were involved into her bondage and to her malady, infirmity. Now let's understand this. Not every infirmity, not every malady has connectivity to the demons. I've heard somebody that was trying to teach that every illness is some type of a a demon possession. You cast out the demon, you get rid of the malady. That's hogwash. You don't find that in the Bible. Sometimes infirmities can be associated with demonic activity. In this particular case, it is. But it is not always. Jesus Christ did not say that of several of those that he healed. He did not connect those two. So be sure we understand that. But he healed her and delivered her from the bondage. As a result, the ruler rebukes the people. Now, he didn't rebuke Jesus Christ. I guess he knew well enough not to do that. But he rebuked the people... And said, there's six days to come to the synagogue and be healed. Don't do it on the Sabbath. And he made a real big issue out of it. And and really reprimanded the people for this. The Lord reprimands the ruler for his hypocritical commitment to man-made traditions. Now, I think it's important to have a teachable moment here. A lot of times... People will conclude for a church and for believers to have standards and regulations and commitments to these practices is to violate what Christ is talking about here. They believe that, and so they don't think a church should have any standard. They should not take separation. uh, They they should not have any uh, guidelines or anything like that. That's unbiblical. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. When the local church is rigid with Bible doctrine and righteous behavior, you will become an ally of Christ. We are commanded to be rigid in our doctrine. The Bible commands us to mark those that have false doctrine. We need to be rigid about that. It has commanded us to separate from those with false doctrine. Likewise, with evil... Practice. Uh, We are commanded to have no fellowship 
with the unfruitful works of darkness. We are commanded to separate from that in our practice and especially within the church. And when we are rigid and faithful in graciousness, we are an ally to Christ. However, when unbiblical doctrines and unbiblical practice become rigidly enforced, you will find yourself in opposition to Christ. That's what happened here in this. As a result, obstacle number one, and I'm going to speak about three obstacles that we have in this passage that hinder people from coming to Christ. Obstacle number one is presented from getting saved, and excuse people will use, is conflicts at the church house. You see, in, in this particular setting, here is the, the woman that had an 18-year infirmity, and Christ healed her. Christ was there, the lady was there, and the ruler was there. And the ruler made a real big scene of reprimanding Christ for having compassion upon this woman. Christ justifiably had to reprimand the ruler for his unbiblical thinking. Now, it says all glorified God for what was done there that day. But do you know, a lot of people would have left and said, you know, I went to that church and it just had a conflict. That church had a history of conflicts. I know a church in Wyoming that went through 19 preachers in 21 years. Perpetual conflict. A uh, new preacher come, he'd try to go and visit. People say, I don't want to go to that church. They're always fussing and fighting over there. Uh, conflict after conflict. Uh, when we were going through the uh, Faith Bible Institute, he brought up a case uh, in a state east of us, years gone by, where there was either almost or was a church split when they were trying to decide whether they should replace the Montgomery Ward magazine out of the outhouse with a newfangled rolled toilet paper. Do you know what? Conflicts. And people will say, they're always fussing and fighting. I don't want to have anything to do with that church. I don't want to have anything to do with that Bible. I don't want to have anything to do with their God. Christ says, you must strive to overcome this obstacle to get right with God. Because anybody who tries to use this obstacle as an excuse, they will have to stand at the great white throne judgment. And that excuse will not hold water before God. The issue will be, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And if you have ever had an obstacle like this, if you know somebody that they've seen a church, they've heard a church, and all they do is fuss and fight, shame on that church. But for that individual, they need to strive. They need to agonize. They need to get over it. They, They need to get to the throne of grace and get saved. That's what Jesus Christ is saying here. The second obstacle that comes is presented, and this is what hinders folks from salvation, is the corruption that permeates Christendom. In verses 18 through 21, he uses two parabolic illustrations. The first one is is the mustard seed and how it is planted and a tree grows or a great big bush that brush that goes grows out of that tiny seed and it becomes extremely large, but the fowl of the air 
find it as their whole. The foul, we would understand if we uh, interpret that in light of other passages. In, in the parable of the sower, where the birds come and take the seed away, the seed is the word of God. The birds are referred to as Satan. So we know that the fowl that take their roost in the mustard brush or bush is the devil and his cohorts. But it shows that it grows extremely large, but it becomes a place comfortable for Satan to work. Folks, Christendom has grown exponentially from that first century. It has gone around the world. There is no shortage of churches. There is no shortage of religion that that claims the name of Jesus in one way or another, uh, in in many cases wrongfully and and misrepresenting, in some cases uh, uh, biblically, like our church. But many, uh, they just kind of add that in one way or another, and it becomes a place for the devil to work and destroy the lives. The second parabolic illustration he uses is leaven. Leaven in in a figurative form in the Bible always is a picture of sin or evil. And it talks about how leaven gets in and it just permeates everywhere and, and throughout the whole thing. And so what he is illustrating here is one of the problems that will happen with Christendom is, oh yeah, it'll expand and explode around the world, but unfortunately, evil will permeate a big portion of it. Do you know what? It is the corruption in churches that become a stumbling block and an obstacle for people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have mentioned when I was at Moral, Nebraska pastoring and was working on one of the ranches as well uh, for one of the men in the community. And uh, in our conversation, he was a lost man. In our conversation, he pointed to another preacher that had, been, that had grown up in the area who would go into nursing homes and hospitals like a charlatan and convince the elderly to sign over their estate to him. And he was a rascal. He was banned from coming to the hospital. He was banned from coming to uh, nursing homes because of this very reason. Jim said, if he can go to heaven and do that kind of stuff, I'm just as good as he is. And I don't need the gospel. And that could be repeated in what happens thousands and thousands of times over. We have heard of preachers who have fallen and gone into sin. We have heard of church officers and church people that that go to church or have gone to church, but they, they have lived a life of sin as well. And it becomes an obstacle to people when they see that to receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. I read an article recently about the great exodus and just this last week about the great exodus of people leaving the church and and they weren't speaking so much about the independent baptist churches the fundamental bible preaching churches even though uh our circle of churches are losing their number and diminishing in attendance they were by and large talking of the neo-evangelical emerging marketing churches 
And they're saying that there is a widespread exodus out of these churches. And the reason being is they get it. It's nothing but a religious nightclub. And that was one of the things that they used that the people made their excuse. And this was not an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing author that was writing this. This may very well have been a secularist author that was writing this that just had uh, presumably an unbiased observation. He said they, they don't want a nightclub, religious nightclub. They don't see anything real or solid or stable. It's always changing in all of this. And the people that are involved look like the world, act like the world, behave like the world, talk like the world. And they don't like it. And what I thought was interesting in his solution of what people were looking for, he didn't say it, but it's churches like ours that have been solid and stable over the years, that are sincere in their faith and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, obstacle number two is when evil permeates the church. The lost see it. They understand. But Jesus Christ says to the lost, If this is an obstacle, if there's anybody here or listening today, or you have a friend or family member that says, well, that that church, you know, they're they're no different than the rest of the world. I don't need what they, they have. If you have somebody like them, they need to hear what Jesus Christ says. Strive ye to enter into the gate. Strive. Tear down that obstacle. Do whatever it is to agonize and get rid of that obstacle and get to the door of grace and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Because if you don't, you'll perish in an eternity of hell. There's a third obstacle that is listed in our passage this morning. It's in verses 25 through 30. The third obstacle that many times keeps people from coming to Christ really fits very closely to number two, but it is counterfeit Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity. It says in here, Lord, Lord, we, we, we preach in your name. We, we're part of you. But they really weren't. They were fake. They were counterfeit. Jesus said, depart, I never knew you. There will be multitudes who will claim the name of Christ, but they've never truly been saved. They've never come to that point as the Bible teaches of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In most cases, their lives will show that. You cannot tell much difference between them and the world. Now, some may have a little more rigid religious life, But one of the things that will become more obvious is their pride of their religious life. Folks, we need to be committed to walking righteously, but with a humble spirit. Because if we ever think that we can live a righteous life with pride, we have defiled the whole thing. My, my wife has watched different times Anne of Green Gables. And at one point in, in that series, 
the orphan girl goes to get the pudding. I think it's the pudding ready for the guest. And a mouse had fallen in the cover. She forgot to put the cover and a mouse had fallen into the pudding. And so she scrapes the mice, the mouse out of the top of the pudding, throws it away and serves the pudding. But just before anybody takes a bite, she yells, stop, don't do it, and then explains. You know what? Everybody knew that the whole thing was defiled. You don't eat any of it. And folks, if we ever endeavor to live righteously with a proud spirit, we've defiled the whole thing. But here... We're talking about those counterfeits who may live religiously, but with pride or very deep worldliness, they're counterfeit. I don't know that too many things are more offensive than a hypocrite. I'm sure we could find a list of other things that are equally offensive or maybe greater. But in this whole climate change things, And how they're telling us that we're going to have to uh, probably eventually drive vehicles like Flintstone where you have to pedal them, your own self. They can't have electricity, can't have gas, or we're going to destroy the world. Uh, You're going to have to have big parkas in your house because if you try to use gas heat or electric heat, you're going to destroy the planet and everybody's going to die. And all of these people like Al Gore and all of his cronies who are talking about this, they're flying around the world in their private jets driving from the jet from their airport to their meetings in the largest fuel-guzzling SUVs because they will not ride in a little smart car and own multiple massive mansions that destroy a third of a forest and demand major supply of fossil fuel to heat it or electricity. I don't know how anybody believes them. They're hypocrites. Or how about during all of the shutdown and all of the demands when governors like California and uh, from California and Pelosi and, and others, they say, you have to isolate, you have to get away from everybody, you have to do this and this and this, and they throw their mask away and they get together with their friends and family and go have a party. Hey, wait a minute. All of those are quite offensive, but I think the chief offender of all is hypocritical Christianity. Because of the results of the consequences are more severe. Because when somebody uses a hypocritical Christian as an obstacle to come to Jesus Christ in faith, the consequence is they spend an eternity in hell. And so if you or you know somebody, you have a friend or a family member that has this obstacle that is hindering them from coming to the grace of God through repentance and faith, Jesus Christ says, strive, agonize, tear down, do everything you can to destroy that obstacle and get to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. I want to close with two exhortations from what I learned from this passage.
First, it is to the believers. By the grace of God, and get this, by the grace of God, let not the Foothills Baptist Church family be guilty of these three obstacles. I realize we're not perfect. We're growing in grace. We have babes in Christ to those that are mature in Christ. But let us strive. Let us be aware. Let us be cognizant of this. Let this not be true of the Foothills Baptist Church family. Any of these. Do not let pride create unbiblical conflicts. Because it will become an obstacle to the lost. We may win the conflict biblically, but we lose the battle in reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. Now, we may discuss with some different opinions on how to do something or what we ought to do, but let it never become a conflict. Let our spirit never become contentious. Let us be very guarded that this is not the guilt of Foothills Baptist Church. Let us love righteousness and hate evil so that corruption and evil does not permeate the way of our church and become a perfect haven for Satan to work out of. Let them look at this church family and say, that's a real church. That's the kind of church family I want to be a part of. Third, let us be real and sincere in our faith and walk with Christ so we do not become an obstacle to the lost through hypocrisy. To have victory in all three of these, and and I'm sure there's more obstacles than these three that we want to learn and grow through and not become those kind of obstacles. But the way to achieve these three, or to achieve victory over these three obstacles, is for us as to believers to live spirit-led lives. I don't have time to go down through and explain that, but that's the key right there. My second exhortation is to the lost. Heed the command of Christ. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Agonize, destroy, conquer, tear down any and every and each obstacle that is keeping you from coming to the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't let these three or any other obstacle prevent you from coming to Christ through repentance and faith. You will not be able to stand before the throne of God, the great white throne judgment. You'll not be able to stand there and say, well, that was nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down at that church. But you still rejected Christ. They, they were full of corruption and evil in that church. They were always having a conflict. Whatever the obstacle is, none of that will matter. And they need to understand, strive to enter at the gate, agonize to get over those obstacles and come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Because there is coming a time And this is just like the incident recorded in Genesis 7 when Noah was locked in with his family into the ark. And because nobody else believed, they perished. 
You can bang at the throne, great white throne of, of judgment. You can rant and you can rave. You can cry and you can weep and, and you can make all the scene you want, but you're not getting through. You're still going to perish. Maybe I didn't hit the obstacle that you're struggling with. <coughs> but Jesus Christ is saying, whatever that obstacle is, strive, agonize, get over it. Because if you don't, if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, you will perish eternally in the lake of fire. The question is not to be addressed how many are saved or who is saved. But do you know the real answer to are you saved? That's the real question that needs to be answered. Christ said that the path or the gate is narrow and few will find it and go in. There's not going to be a great host. He said, when he comes, will he find faith? And the reason for that question is, is Christendom will grow widespread like the mustard bush. And it'll be permeated with evil of unbelievers that claim the name of Christ like leaven permeates the dough. Will you be a part of the many that take the broad way, even if it's religious? Or will you be among the few that will find Jesus Christ, who is the gate through that narrow path? Which will you be? Father, we come to you, and, and what a great passage. And Father, on one hand, my passion is to those that are lost that use excuses to keep them from Christ. And oh God, I pray that, that you would help them to agonize, to cast down to that obstacle and come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. But also, Father, we need to be just as passionate to us as believers and as a church family to not let these obstacles become a part of who we are. Help us, O oh God, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again... Be sure you are living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. Come all harm safe, from all harm safe, in His sheltering arm.
Hi, this is Craig James from Just Informed Talk Radio, and I'm here to tell you about my kind CBD products. I have been using these products myself, and I can tell you this is the highest quality CBD product I've ever used in my life. My kind CBD products are 100% THC free, locally sourced from Colorado hemp farmers, and they're organic. And if you want, you can give them a shot today by going to 1360KHNC.com/shop, and when you do. 
Make sure you try out everything from the sunscreen to the lotion to the salve to the retinol cream to the tinctures to the cocoa to the coffee to the tea, everything in between. And make sure you try out the pet products as well. They have pet shampoo and pet tincture. You're not going to be disappointed. These products are white labeled and sold in high-end stores and boutique salons for two, three, and four times the price you're going to be paying at 1360khnc.com slash shop straight from the manufacturer. So go there and buy your products today. And I know you're going to become a repeat customer just like me. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit TeheboTeaClub.com. Tehebo is spelled T like Tom, A-H-E-E-B like boy, O, then continue with the word T and then the word club. The complete website is TeheboTeaClub.com or call us at 818-610-8088, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-610-8088, TeheboTeaClub.com. Are you looking to sell your excess construction equipment? Trust Steffes Group's team of professionals to get you the best return on your investment. Steffes Group is a nationally recognized leader in the auction business with over 60 years of experience. Their team of professionals prioritize honesty, integrity, and outstanding service, and they work with you every step of the way to ensure a smooth and successful auction process. Go to steffesgroup.com right now to find a sales representative near you and discuss your options today. Tune in Saturday mornings from 11 to noon right here on the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC 1360 for the Gardening with Joy and Holly radio show. Topic focus, guests from across the country, and answering your garden questions. That's Saturdays, 11 to noon. Catch the replay Sundays, 4 to 5 p.m. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are